0: Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast, where we are talking all things resilience and revolution. Yes, I changed it. <laughs> I changed it. Wow, I
1: like it. I like the alliteration.
0: I I love alliteration. Hope Me and heart too. pills, resilience and revolution, you love know, it. and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Etc. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, I'm one of your hosts, Andre Henry.
1: And I am your other host, Trishes.
0: And today we are joined by a very special guest. Jess Malley is here with us. Jess is a London-based anti-racism educator, educator, writer, speaker, podcast host, creative and events producer, consultant, and more. And we're going to talk with Jess about their work. Thanks so much for being here, Jess.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure.
0: So my first question is, how are you an anti-racism educator in london isn't there no racism in britain
1: yeah i thought racism was just in i thought that was a uniquely
2: um i'm leaving american phenomenon this is, it. <laughs> this is a setup Stop. this is a setup i'm out of here
0: i thought george washington <laughs> invented racism <laughs>
2: right I mean, after crossing that, the Delaware that is, River <laughs> That is exactly what happened and um I was hoping to get the opportunity to have a public platform where I could um talk about the you know wrong ways of my teachings <laughs> um oh my goodness that's a really good question though because we laugh and we crack up right but that is actually a conversation I have On a regular basis um, with Mm. folks in the UK, with folks in Europe, this whole conversation about, well, but at least it's not like America. And at least, you know, Mm. we don't have racism like the Americans do. And um, which Mm -hmm. I think, you know, speaks to so many different things, one of them being that. The folks who tell history are often those who have things to hide. And so there is such a lack of understanding of where the racism came from that went all the way to America. Um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know, the stories of race, the stories of whiteness, all of those, um, there's such a lack of understanding that. And then there's the lived experience reality, right? Like, um, Mm -hmm. racism, unfortunately is alive and well over here just this week in the UK. Um, the officer who shot Chris Kaba last year, um, was charged for murder, which is very much unheard of over here and has, you know, reopened. Mm -hmm. Yet another a huge conversation about police violence and police brutality, specifically against black folk um, over here in the UK as well. So it, it is alive and well. It does differ in ways. And I think it's important to name that as right. well um, and not pretend that it's all the same. But so much of my work mm-hmm. is about reminding folks that the root of the issue, right, the um, the core story of race and the core story of the hierarchy of race is the same everywhere is a global issue. And Mm. so, yeah, unfortunately, my work is needed over here. Here's to the day (laughs) when it isn't. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. Yeah, I would love to hear about your story about how you got to the place you are now and about um, the, the workshops that you
2: are hosting. Sure. So I guess a little bit of context and background about me. I am what I guess some folks refer to as a third culture kid. Um, I have a a parent from one place and a parent from another place. And then I grew up in yet another place. Um, And I grew up in Germany. I spent most of my time there. My dad was US military. And so I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, Germany, as one of the only black kids in my world. So Hmm. I experienced the othering of race and the stories that come with that and being surrounded by mostly white folks um, from a very, very young age. And so I always say that I think my quote unquote work um, has actually been part of my life ever since I know. Um, But it obviously like for so many of us takes time to sort of grow in our understanding and learning and all of that. And so it was moving sort of to the UK, working in lots of different spaces. Um, I took a little stint studying sociology and political science, but this is an anecdote for another time. I had a very racist professor mm-hmm. in sociology. I studied in Germany. Um but so, so Let's there was talk about always them. this thing.
0: Joke, I'm joking.
2: I'm <laughs> I mean, listen, detour. No, <laughs> detour. Yeah. Well, uh, um, we we won't give them the airtime, but um, hmm. I think the, you know, the, the question of can, can this world be better? Can it be different? Um, has always been a huge part of my life um, and always a question that I've asked in many different things that I've done, many different spaces of work. And so then leading into sort of, I I left a full-time position, um, in 2018 and kind of coming out of that, having tried to make change in the organization that I was working in and, and, um, try to sort of bring the conversation to the fore, um, and realizing that wasn't really happening. And then figuring out new paths for myself. I realized that I wanted to tell stories um, in different ways, stories that would make people think, that would make people ask questions, um, that would center our experiences whilst also enrolling and inviting people into a different way of thinking. And so that's really when I started thinking about anti-racism work in the sort of specific context of educating around it. And so, yeah, that's where I'm now. And it has evolved. And I think, you know, I, I feel like sometimes people don't talk enough about the fact that their work evolves and changes. And I think it's really important to talk about mm-hmm. that um, because part of the the core belief of my work is that there is always more to learn and to grow and better questions to ask. And so it has evolved. It has changed. But the the core of it continues to center around challenging and dismantling and deconstructing uh racism and white supremacy, and so the workshops I run sort of for everybody that folks can sign up for um are really an introduction to anti racism um, I call it an introduction because you know people like to read a book and go i've I've done the anti racism you know or um go go to one sort of workshop and and feel like they're done but I try and take folks on a journey and hope that when they come out of that journey on the other side, they are equipped to see the world differently and to ask better questions and have a different lens. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could talk so much more about the workshops, but I think that's like the the kind of essence of, of what I try and do.
1: I was looking through the modules for the workshops and yeah. I love the structure of it. Um, the question I had was about other people's questions because I saw in one of the modules you have um, you have anonymous questions that you answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was just very curious as to what kinds of questions you may have gotten that you wouldn't have expected from people um, or just generally anything you really feel like you learned from your attendees in terms of Where we are now in our general knowledge of um, of race and white supremacy and uh, where where we need to be as a society.
2: That's a really good question. Um, so the uh, for folks that are listening, the, there's four modules to, to the workshop. Um, the first one is called Laying the Groundwork, where I just kind of define what it is we're talking about. I set some parameters. I introduce a framework. Um, I go back to basics, right? So we talk about what do we mean when we say race? What do we mean when we say racism? Um, mm-hmm. What do we mean when we say white supremacy? Like, especially over the last three years, these terms have em- exploded over the sort of, you know, mainstream media and folks are using words to kind of throw them at each other and think they're having a conversation. Um, And so the first module is all about that. The second module is a history module, because I believe we don't we can't understand where we are if we don't know where we've come from. And then the module you're referring to, the third module is called Ask the Awkward Questions. And there's a few reasons I decided to introduce that module. Um, One of them is that I wanted to, I think we all know the kind of learning experience is different when you get to actually help shape it, right? So it's one thing Mm -hmm. to sit in something where someone just talks at you all the time and tells you what they think you need to know. Um, It's a whole different story to be able to say, but There are particular things I'm trying to understand and you kind of can help shape it. The the reason I make it anonymous is because I realize that um, and again, particularly over the last few years, um, whether we think that's right or wrong is beside the point. But folks have gotten scared at times to ask the things they really want to ask. Right. And to have the conversations that maybe they need to have in order to be able to move forward a little bit. Um, and so by making it anonymous, I I feel like I was able to create a space where people are um, able to ask anything without feeling like someone's going to come for them. Someone's going to tweet about them. Someone's going to cancel them, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it has been so that module is the module that gets the best feedback and that really where you can see something shift in people because they do get to ask all of those questions. And in terms of your question around um, what are some of the questions, what are some of the learnings? I think one huge learning for me continues to be that those of us who are in these spaces and who do this work um, would do very well to remember that we haven't always been where we're at like we've been on a learning journey
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that we do tend to live in a bubble in terms of you know to your point of where are we at in terms of understanding of these things and um being able to sort of yeah have have kind of productive conversations around this um we often live in a bubble we talk to the people who Think the same, talk the same, um, and right. we sometimes assume that because somebody doesn't use the same language as us, or because they don't, you know, think about the same things as us in the moment, they're immediately an opponent to the work we're trying to do. And what I'm learning mm. through this work, but through this module in particular, is that there are a lot of people. And again, this is not an excuse for ignorance, but there are a lot of people who just don't know, because they right. don't follow all the same people on Instagram. And so their algorithm doesn't show them all the same things you and I see. Um, they haven't had anyone tell them about the book. They haven't, you know. And so I think the the thing that it really does for me is, is it, it helps me be patient. It helps mm-hmm. me be like, I often get folks say like, you're so patient in this work. And I'm like, well, because I'm finding that a lot of people actually really do want to learn, right? Like when given the opportunity. Um, Mm -hmm. The, some of the questions, I mean, look, there are some questions that (laughs) happen to the patient part. I do always say to people (laughs) as well, I say, you only get the facilitator me. You don't get the, I'm pulling my hair out while I'm preparing for this module me. (laughs) Right, right. So there is, there are some questions that come up almost every single time I always get, but why can't I use the M word? What? Um, wow. Didn't expect that one. <laughs> oh my God. There is someone oh and and they'll phrase it differently, right? They'll be, but it's used in music. And then when I sang it along, my friend told me I couldn't. Why? Or there'll be the whole, you know, it's there's just it's it's a it's a question that comes up regularly. Um, another question that has come up that doesn't come up as regularly, but that comes up as well is what about black on black crime? Oh, uh, hmm. yeah, that's definitely a question that. Yeah, that's a that's comes a great hit right there. Yes, it's the greatest hit. The greatest hit! Wow. <laughs> Um, uh, so the, sorry, go ahead. Trish. Oh, no, continue. Um, so yeah, so that's, that. those are two. And then there are often questions around, um, oh, pretty much every time, actually, there are questions around, you know, I don't want to say or do the wrong thing. How do I show up in allyship? Um, how do I, how do I actually, speak up how am i an active bystander um you know what what do i do when i get called out you know there are a lot of questions like that and and folks are um for whatever reason and again that's that's another thing probably to to talk about but people are nervous and i think that's down to the fact that people are nervous about getting things wrong period right like not just within mm-hmm. the context of talking about race we live in a culture where making mistakes or sitting with discomfort or having difficult conversations, like we're not taught how to do that. And Mm -hmm. we're not taught how to do that in our like one-on-one relationships, right? Like we're not taught how to have constructive arguments or to be uncomfortable or to grow. And so we expect the very same people who don't know how to have an uncomfortable conversation with the people closest to them. We then go and now please be willing to have an uncomfortable conversation about this thing called race that Mm. you probably really don't know very much about. Mm. Um, yeah. And so what I'm finding is that even though I get frustrated every time I get these answers, I'm not going to lie to y'all. <laughs> I do get frustrated every time. I'm also thankful every time because I realize that the moment the question is asked and is in the room and is out there, first of all, the moment folks hear the question back, like you can see, I, I almost always know who asked the question just by looking at people's mm. faces when I read the question. Wow. Back. Yeah. Because you can almost, you see people go, did I really ask? Like, and and especially because they will have been like two modules in at this point, right? And they'll be like, did this, did I say this? But secondly, it means that I can actually give a useful response. I can actually go, okay, I know that on the internet and from what people say, you cannot use the M word. And I could say to you, don't use it. You just can't use it. Or I could explain to you, um in the context in the container right of this course and i also always say to people just because you have a container here with me where i am willing to have these conversations with you doesn't mean that you walk up to the next black person you meet and, <laughs> and have those that same is such a, good point. such a good yeah. point such an important point as well right like i always say yeah. this is the space to do it don't do it anywhere else um And but then then I can actually give useful context and I can equip people to have better conversations. And that's the feedback I get from people, especially after that module. But generally after the workshop is folks come back Mm -hmm. and say, I've been able to have conversations with people who, you know, if you have someone often I'll have folks in the course who are like they have done quite a bit of reading. They have done some of the work, but they've just found it difficult to have useful conversations with people in their world. And they would come out of the course and feel like, oh, I've I've actually been able to articulate this now. Or then you have people who have never even thought about any of it. And they're like light bulb. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I suddenly I one thing I get a lot is people come back after a few months or whatever and communicate to me that they're like, I, I could I, I'm not able to unsee. I can't I can't stop seeing now. Mm. So, yeah, that's that, that's that amazing. special. <laughs>
1: I would love to hear about how you are you're very patient, like you were saying, but it is really difficult to have to answer these questions. Mm-hmm. Right. I would love to hear about how you are able to take care of your mental and emotional health, being mm-hmm. an anti-racism educator um, and also about Healthy Humans for Social Change, which is a part of your podcast um, the third way. (laughs) And because Andre and I have been talking, Andre and I have been talking a lot about mental health this season Mm -hmm. and mental health is sort of a a social justice issue. Um, So when we saw the, the healthy humans um, title, we were like, Ooh, what's that?
2: (laughs) I love that. Um, So I think, you know, those two things the, the how I take care of myself and and the healthy humans for social change series, they're interconnected. Um, I, I will say that maybe first thing, like I've been in and out of therapy for 10 years. Right. Um, and I will probably be in and out of therapy for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, me too. And, uh, right. Um, yeah. And, I am also aware that even just in my own story, I've not always had access to that. Right, like I've not always had access to it because of what it costs. I've not always had access to it because the people uh, that are available as therapists haven't always been um, people that were right for me and able to hold my multitudes. <laughs> um, but but therapy has definitely been. Uh, Kind of pillar for me on just the journey of my well-being period. Aside from uh, the work that I do, um, I think in, in in regards to the work in particular, there's been a few things I've had to and continue to have to unlearn um, my own saviorism complex. Um, mm. Oh wow! That resonates. <laughs> Right. And I think so many of us in these spaces have this, right? Because for different reasons, for me, it's, I think, largely down to the fact that I grew up in the church. Um, And so I have really had to unlearn and continue to have to unlearn some of those lenses and filters that I Mm. was taught um, in, in the church. And and some of those are that kind of saviorism mentality and um, and this feeling of being responsible for the outcome. Right. Like I remember. I don't know if this is maybe too much of a detour, so cut it out if you don't like it.
0: But listen, you're here to talk. I'm, so like so, so take us wherever you want to go.
2: So talking about that kind of, you know, growing up in church and now being in sort of social justice, social change spaces, I remember growing up and being maybe five or so. And I had just recently learned that it is really important to invite Jesus into your heart, because if you don't, you might go to hell. Um, and I remember a everybody shaking their heads. Um, <laughs> I, I remember. um Feeling that there was a family member, a very close family member who was not identifying as a quote unquote born again Christian, hmm. and one of the things that we would that that I would be taught in Sunday school was I had to be a good kid so that this family member would see Jesus in me and would get saved and not go to hell. oh wow, so if you think about that for wow. a moment, right? Like yeah. so, so you're you're telling a five, six year old that their behavior has an impact on whether or not somebody spends eternity in health. Just wild. A little bit right? of pressure. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no
0: pressure Just, or anything.
2: None whatsoever. Um and and th- this is one story, and and maybe not everybody who's grown up in the church will have had. This. Those intense experiences, but I think it's a, um, it's a sort of example for the kind of stories and messages that you grow up around when you grow up around in the church. So many of us who have left the church, I find this all the time. I meet so many people. Just the other day, I was meeting folks who I interviewed for my podcast, and before we even got into it, it turned out that they had also grown up in the church. I had no idea, right? Like I didn't know this about them when I when I reached out to them. And I meet so many people in social justice spaces who have some kind of past in the church. And even if they don't have a past in the church, I think Christianity is the waters we swim in, right? Whether we have ever fully identified with it or not. And so much of the story, right? And so much of the story of Western Christianity is... You got to go save, you got to go fix, you have an entitlement to like, you know, colonialism, white supremacy has been very much informed by those beliefs and vice versa. And so I then I go into social justice spaces and I see folks doing the same thing. So and and I did it right. Like, I'm like, OK, I have this message now, this like truth that can set the people free. <laughs> and yeah. It is my responsibility to get it out there. And if I don't get it out there, if I don't um, work crazy hours, if I don't give my all to this work, um, then I'm not doing it right. And then it's going to be my fault that racism isn't eradicated. What? (laughs) And so I think part of my journey has been and is to in, in terms of keeping myself well is to unlearn that and to realize that there is no one person who's going to fix all the things that need fixing. Um, we have to do it together. There is no one way as well. And this is controversial <laughs> because I think some of our social justice spaces um we, we struggle with that, right? Like we, we have a view of what the one way is, and then we don't like it when somebody else who might have the same goal has a different approach um, to whatever, uh, you know, achieving the goal of liberation. And so unlearning that, relearning that has been key so that I can run a workshop or give a talk or host a community gathering or create a space or whatever else it is. And then I can go home and I can trust that I have done my part and I don't have to worry. I don't have to try and fix the outcome. I don't have to freak out if it didn't go all the way, the way I thought it was supposed to go. Um, so that's been a really key part of my journey. There, there are practices I could speak to like there are, you know, I meditate, I journal, um, I I have like seven things that whenever I'm like feeling really low, there's like seven things I check. I'm like, have I had enough water? Have I eaten well? Um, have I had fun? Have I seen my friends? Have I slept enough? Um, have I done my gratitude practice and meditated? Like, I think that was six. Oh, I love I that. Have I think I that was out? six. Yeah, I love
1: that. I need to have a checklist.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So then, I love that. Whenever I feel some kind of way, I go through those seven things and I'm like, oh, OK, most of the time there's like one to six <laughs> that that haven't been going so well. And so I start there right before I look outward, before I try and blame or like freak out or spiral. I live with depression and anxiety as well. So some of those tools have been incredibly important to me. Um so that that's kind of been the the piece around my own. How do I keep myself? Well, community is a really big part of that. Asking for help is a really big part of that. Saying no to work has been a really big part of that. Um, being able to say, I can't run today's workshop because I'm not OK and the world will not end if I don't. Um, and then the healthy humans for social change piece, I guess, feeds into that. And as much as I'm asking the question, you know, I guess it's the question of if all the things that we're seeking to dismantle were gone today, like right now, snap of a finger, all gone, all the isms, all the systems, all the structures, we did it, right? And we were to build again, what would we be building?
0: The same shit.
2: Right? <laughs> Right. Right. It's very and true. So mm, I th- I think we would. I think we do it in our you know, we, we do this is the, the Christian thing replicating. It's like all those different things. And so I'm asking what is required of us individually and as communities to actually start sowing like there's this this phrase that has kind of become a little bit of a phrase in the series and it's from a piece I wrote called what does your heart dream of and the phrase is what future do you sow into the soil of today Mm. like what future do you sow into the soil of today beautiful and that question is really how are we navigating right now to become well in ourselves, and our communities, and our relationships, so that yes, while we're dismantling and fighting and doing all the things, we're also sowing the new stuff that we actually want to build, and that's what okay. healthy humans for social change is all about. Hmm. What's
0: the story behind how you got into doing that? Because were you always thinking about the health of it when you were when you started, or was there a moment where you said, okay? I need to change how I'm doing this work. And I also want to bring this into my public work. What, what did that look like?
2: Um, I think it was a few different things. Uh, it was coming out of, I started asking this questions like question, like this idea of healthy humans has been with me from back in the church days, actually. Because in the last few years that I was within the church context, I became the person that was always like, wait, what? what? No, you know, like gotcha. something's not mm-hmm. right here. Something's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, And the, the things that I was seeing were, you know, were, we're having folks stand on the platform saying all these things and then they turn around and treat their volunteers really badly or they turn around and, you know, do whatever else it is they do. And I was like, this makes no sense. Like I don't know, maybe I, my mind is functioning in a simple kind of manner, but I'm like, I this is this doesn't make sense to me in any way shape or form. And then coming out of that, I started it it was re, it started with me, right? Like the seven things that I mentioned and the way I kept burning out in whatever work I was doing and the way I was always putting my well-being on the back burner for the sake of you know, um, whatever else, um, we, we were trying to, or we're, we're trying to do and realizing again, back to this point of, if all the things were resolved right now, what would we be building? And then I was in New York in 2021. Um, and I was doing this work. I was doing anti-racism work. I was doing all these different things. I was, uh, exhausted <laughs> I was, um, I was finding that I was meeting a lot of people who were, again, in the social justice spaces, saying a lot of the things, but then not showing up in the same way in friendships and community and relationships. Oh, here we go. (laughs) And I just, I just thought, wait, but that's what they did in the church. I'm so confused. Like, why is this happening again? Right. And I had started thinking about healthy humans a few years before that. And I was actually going to write a book. Um, I was talking to like publishers about it and it was going somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then life happened and um, I lost someone close to me. And I was like, this isn't the right time. And then the more I started thinking about it, the more I was like the whole point of healthy humans for social change is that it isn't one person that can answer the question. Right. I can't write this book. I can curate it. I can maybe facilitate Mm -hmm. it if it ever becomes a book. But if I was to write this book and say, this is Healthy Humans for Social Change, I'd be doing exactly the same thing that Mm -hmm. I'm saying we can't do. And so Mm -hmm. I think then from all of that, and yeah, it was when I was in New York, I went to this beautiful event, like sound healing music stuff. I don't even know what it was. It was magical. Um, (laughs) and the, this piece, what does your heart dream of kind of came to me? Like I was writing it, um, during that event. And so those thoughts together with this question of what future do you sow into the soul of today? What does your heart dream of? What are we imagining kind of came together? And I thought, I want to talk to people who do any kind of social change work right whatever we think that means and I want to talk to them and ask them healthy humans for social change <laughs> question mark um, <laughs> is is this something that we need to be thinking about is this something that we need to be talking about how are we staying well how are we looking after each other how are we sowing liberation into now you know I think someone who talks right. about this, in different ways, amazingly, all the time is um, is the folks at the Nat Ministry, right, and and the book versus mm-hmm. Resistance" and all of that, mm-hmm. um, which is this whole idea of how we're starting to actually do this in our own bodies and in our own communities, and yeah. So I guess the moment for me was the way we've done this isn't working. Um, the way we're building community or saying we're building community doesn't seem to be working. Something's yeah. got to change, mm-hmm. and so that's why we're having this conversation.
0: That's amazing. It's such an important. Com- it's such an important. Uh, it's such an important ground to cover, right? Because I think that <laughs> the wokeification of social media <laughs> has become mm-hmm. has has really become like a really toxic and self righteous place. You know, mm.
2: yeah, where people yeah. think, yeah,
0: people think because they're mad online in public that they're part of the solution. Right. Yeah. So whatever the problem is. But, you know, no, mm-hmm. no shade to people who are posting online. I'm posting online.
2: No, same. You
0: know, but but like you were pointing out, you know, there's a transformation that has to happen personally. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And interpersonally, yeah. which is what we're talking mm-hmm. about when we talk about justice. Yeah. But we keep zooming out and zooming out and zooming out and zooming out until the frame is mm-hmm. so big that I think people forget that when you're talking about white supremacy, ageism, ableism, mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. these other things. We're talking about people not treating each other well. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If yeah. you zoom back in, that means that we have to be trying to practice our principles between one another. And yeah, uh, I just I appreciate that work. And when, I love the connection that you made to church. That was my guess. You know, my, my yeah. guess was going to be... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> does your church background have anything to do with that? Because we <laughs> had an exchange recently, you know, which I was telling yeah. you that you are inspiring me to, to talk more about that. Because what I've been doing for several years is avoiding talking about how growing up evangelical, mm-hmm. being an evangelical pastor, you know, mm-hmm. how that shaped how that shaped me to to live in the world. So I know yeah. that recently you mentioned, so you still identify as Christian. You're, is that, that's the faith that you practice now?
2: Well, <laughs> well, in, it, is in my, um, it is complicated. In my yeah. most recent, um, I think in, in, one of my most recent Instagram posts after watching sex education, um, which I highly recommend, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but I did. So here we go. Of course. Um, <laughs> um, After, after watching that, I, um, I felt really moved because I think what I'm experiencing is that I, I didn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, there there are other Mm -hmm. layers for it. Uh, For me as well, whilst I was in church, I was in the closet. I wasn't out. Um, Mm -hmm. And so coming out of church, coming out after being out of church, um, realizing how much harm um, that had caused, like being in the church context and constantly being told that who you are is wrong and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, And yet my. I have a very active spirituality. And I like to say that, and I think this is, this is something I picked up from, um, the late Rachel Held Evans, who said that, uh, Christianity was her mother tongue Mm -hmm. and, Mm That really resonated with me because there is so much about Christianity, not just the Christianity I grew up with, but the Christianity and the faith of my ancestors, right? Like mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. enslaved ancestors and the liberation yeah. they found within that and the way that faith um, mm. allowed them to survive some of the most wild and vile things, Um there's something in that that I'm not willing to throw out. Like I'm not willing yeah. to just dismiss and I'm not going to go with the party line of, Oh, it's just a white man's religion because uh-huh. that is not true. Um, there uh-huh. are the, 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 the the Western way of Christianity and, and is so influenced by white supremacy and colonialism. I'm not arguing that for a second. That's why I left it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But there are things in it that, that have mysteries in it, right. That have kept Mm -hmm. our people alive that have kept me alive. Like I've experienced things in my life, um, with the divine that happened to me in that time and beyond that time of being in the church. So I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and I'm asking questions that I would never be allowed to ask. And actually a Mm -hmm. a friend of mine, um, who I know from back in the church days, and he's actually still in church and we argue about that, but that's fine. Um, he recently <laughs> called me like the Empress of Heresy. Oh,
0: I mean, but, that <laughs> is actually not a bad title though. Like, <laughs> right? not, not only are you not, not only are you a heretic, but you're an Empress. So I mean, like,
2: I mean, listen, right. Um, I feel like you should put so that on something. I should put that on something. You should put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. And and I take that as a compliment because I think I I would say I identify as a mystic um, more than anything. Mm -hmm. A mystic who was raised in the Christian tradition and who draws Mm -hmm. from other Christian mystics and who draws from um, some of those ideas. But I also explore and um, I have, you know, looked at and read into other religions, other faiths, other spiritualities, not e- not nearly as as much as I would like to, and that's something that I I want to keep going into. Like I had a really long period where I'm like I'm not going to read anything about any religion or faith for a really long mm-hmm. time. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: Um. So this is a really long way to say. I would say I'm a mystic from the Christian mm-hmm. tradition, f- who comes from the Christian tradition. And Christianity is my mother tongue, but I'm learning other languages.
0: No, that's fine. I mean, I usually don't ask people about their faith on, on the show because I I, like I said, I try to distance yeah. myself from it altogether. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm finding I'm, I'm finding, you know, people like you, Michaela Loesch, mm-hmm. um, Blair mm-hmm. Imani, you know, these mm-hmm. are people who these are people of faith who are talking about their faith in their justice work. And that's challenging for me, I think, in a good way, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I I appreciate you bringing that to the conversation. I'm always curious about black people who are still tethered to Christianity in some way as well, Mm -hmm. because I'm just like, how are you doing that? You know, (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, I
2: I don't know.
0: And it's it's not like I'm not, you know, like I am as well. And every one of us Mm -hmm. has a similar response where someone goes like, Mm -hmm. yeah, and I'm like, Sure. Yes. Yeah. It is it is true that I am a Christian depending on what you mean, you know. Um <laughs> mm-hmm. it is also not true that I'm a Christian depending on what you mean. Yeah. You know. But anyway, yeah. we are so mm-hmm. we're way over time. I don't want to keep you all day. So anyway, just thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for conversing with us in this way and just want to ask you um what keeps you going in this work? What 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 keeps you going day to day? Uh
2: this wild belief that and I quote a friend here um cough cough uh it doesn't have to be this way, right? Um <laughs> I've heard true. that before. <laughs> right? I thought Emily, really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just say, you know, no, I'm not getting paid to say this. It's true, though. Like, I remember hearing you say this for the first time um, somewhere on your social media and and it really resonating with me because that's
1: that's Mm -hmm. what
2: I what I believe as well. Like, I just cannot stop believing that it doesn't have to be this way. And it's annoying because I wish I could like I wish I could Mm -hmm. just be like, whatever, like this is it. There's no way out. Let's just go out with the bang. But it doesn't have to be this way. And so that keeps me going. Yeah. Beautiful.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here, Jess. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast. We could not do this show without our generous patrons at Patreon. So thank you to all of our patrons. And if you want to become our patron, um, we're going to toss it over to Ross in a second once we sign off. And he's going to tell you all the things about how to support the show as well as whatever rumors he's spreading about me and Trish over there. I don't listen to the end of the show, so I'm still not sure, but Ross, you better behave. Um, um, We will, you'll hear from us next time.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's music. That's spelled T-R-I-S-H-E-S music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok, and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com/andrehenry. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.